Are there any questions about the material of last time? Chris. Uh, this is about the material of last time. Can I still ask it? Go ahead. Father, just a little off the wall. Do you, do you, um, do you remember what, uh, when Moses asked God if he could see um, his glory or his beauty? Do you know yeah. how that was translated? Or how should it be translated? That way. Okay. Either one of those words? It's kabod. Kabod. You normally translate as glory. Okay. You asked me if I remember that. Actually, Moses was up on the mountain. I was down in the valley when it happened. <laughs> and I only heard about it later. Where is John Cotney? John, make your announcement, please. Yeah, I, did, I, I, I forgot to mention that announcement. Uh, so, Cliff McGeeley is Charles Matthews' godfather. Um, and when, you know, when we asked Clifton uh, about six weeks ago, he thought he'd be able to take off work, and he planned on being able to take off work. But just a week and a half ago, he found out he wouldn't be able to get off in time to be able to make it up here. Um, so my father-in-law um, stood in for, for him today. But, but Clifton wanted me to pass along greetings to you all. And he's heartbroken he can't make it. He was so excited, and I know a lot of people get very excited to see him. Um, so he, he, he goes to church at the church we go to when we're home with my parents. So I see them in the morning. And uh, they're, they're doing very well, um, and they love you very much. And they miss you just like Kristen and I miss you uh, when we're not here. Thank you, sir. Since, since I have no idea when the bell was originally rung, I have absolutely no idea where we are in the course of the class. Um, but we'll start in. If, if we find little children walking through, we'll, we'll know it's time to stop. No other questions than the material of last time? You surely have a question about the material of last time. I wasn't here last time. <laughs> that shouldn't stop you. Come up with a question. How about one of the things that you said um, in the sermon this morning about... Um, hold on, I'm, trying, I'm thinking on my feet here. Um, it's hard for a philosopher. Unless he's peripatetic, then he has to walk. That's what I was saying. Was it the comment about helicopters? Um, well, no, no, you did say something about the child in the mother's womb. Yeah. Right? Uh, being close to... Physically close. Yeah, I, within inches or whatever was your terminology. Meaning the child's. No. Huh? No, the community goes into her body. Right, that's what was confusing to me. Okay. Why is it close? Why is it... I mean, uh, I'm just talking about what we'd normally say, where the where the communion goes. It doesn't, yeah. go, it doesn't go into the baby. Why not? Because the blood is the blood, the blood actually doesn't. Well, it, 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 yeah. What Michael's saying is worth yeah. worth worth reflecting on, though. Yeah, because I uh, honestly, that's exactly oh. what I presented. Yeah. Uh, that uh, when when I said that. When I said that, I was not saying anything that I thought the church has actually said. With me, I'm just making a comment the way it seemed to me. Okay. Well, anyway, that's as good as I can do right now. That, no, that's good. That's fine. That's fine. Phil, did you turn off? Uh, it's on. Okay. 
Maybe it just can't transmit that far. Are they hearing me back in the in the? Uh, find out if they're hearing me in the playroom, would you? I'm wearing this contraption because there were complaints from people in the playroom that they couldn't hear the sermon. Is there something I can do? No, there's apparently not. Um, if, uh, if they can't hear anyway, I'm going to take it off because it is not comfortable. And I'm going to turn it off because it's burning up the battery. All right. I thought that was a nice, sweet time we had today, though. Uh, the way we did the service... Some of you who were around back in 1998 may remember that that's the way I did the service with baptism and Eucharist back in 98, where we went to the little entrance right after the baptism. And shortly after that, we got a visit from the bishop, who told me I must not do that anymore. Honestly? Yeah. So, but the bishop's gone now. <laughs> And now we have a bishop who knew not Joseph. Uh, so I thought I was on the cutting edge. Imagine me being on the cutting edge of anything except perhaps a slice of cheese, you know. Um, but Bishop Dimitri told me not to do it anymore, so I stopped doing it. Until when, was it, when we had a baptism several months ago, we did it again. And that's where we're going to do it from now on, unless I get directions from Bishop Anthony. But I don't believe I will. I don't. I, that is not like Bishop Anthony. Bishop Anthony has been to, the, to, to our liturgy here. He sees how we do things. He's never made any complaint or comment or anything. Unlike the first bishop we had when I first came here, who commented on everything down to the size of the chalice covers. I mean, just... just. So I think we're going to keep, keep doing it that way. I found out earlier this year that a number of priests do it that way, including Father Patrick Kinder up in up in up in Wisconsin. That <laughs> <laughs> I was cutting out part of the divine liturgy. If you notice this morning, we did not have the two little litanies or the very antiphons and things like that at the beginning. We did have the great litany because it's part of the baptismal service. Um, I probably will not get to the point where we recite the, the, the Nicene Creed just once. I don't know see how to do that. Uh, or I'll take, I'll take counsel on that if I, if I do it. Now, we've talked about prophecy last week. And... Uh, Remember, the beginning class, I said I regard the book of Revelation as a book of liturgical prophecies. Last week, we talked about prophecy. Today, we're going to talk about liturgical. The liturgical setting of the book of Revelation is indicated in the very first chapter, where St. John says... I was in the spirit. Antikiriaki okay. Himera. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. 
Kiryaki Himera. Hear the word Kyrios in there? Lord. Okay. Um, literally, I suppose, be on the Lordly Day, the day pertaining to the Lord. Kyriakos. Kyriakos. Okay. If you translate, if you translate Kyriakos into Latin, what is that? D- Dominic. Dominic. Dominicus. Or, in Italian, Domenico. Okay. That's just a translation into Latin. In other words, the seer is in prayer when? On the day of the Lord. And he is in prayer, and what direction is he facing? East. East. Was that a guess, or did you figure it out? No, I figured it out. You figured it out. He figured it out. Ask him your next question. Okay. <laughs> he's facing east. He's on the Isle of Patmos, and he's looking east to the coast of Asia. Just to the east of where he stands, in prayer, lies the western shore of Asia, where John, in mystic vision, beholds a ring, a semi-ring actually, of seven churches. There are seven lampstands, a kind of menorah. I saw seven golden lampstands, he said. And he is told, the seven lampstands you saw are the seven churches. Okay. There's the setting. He's describing the whole place like a sanctuary. He's facing the east, exactly the direction the high priest faces in the temple when he looks out and sees the menorah. With me, with me on that? And just what are these seven churches doing on the Lord's Day? Well, what are you supposed to do on the Lord's Day? We know from 1 Corinthians 16, 2, that the Christians gather on the first day of the week, or more literally, day one of the week. First day is not a biblical term. Day one is a biblical term. Kata mian sabatu. Kata mian sabatu. On, the, on day one of the week. This is an expression identical to the one used in Genesis to describe day one of creation. And we read that text this morning, as I do every Sunday, we read that text right before the beginning of Matins, don't we? When is, when is the first day of the creation? Yom Hechad. Yom Hechad, which literally is translated day one. Yom Echad, or as is translated in the uh, Septuagint, Himira Mia. Himira Mia, okay? Not Himira Proti, okay? Himira Mia, day one. Also in the Latin, okay? Die Una, okay? Die Una. Sabatorum, die una, okay? not die prima. I suppose there are people who refer to Pope Francis as Pope Francis I, but you shouldn't. He's just Pope Francis. He's numero uno. I guess all popes are that, but I was. <laughs> this striking expression is also used to refer to the day of the Lord's resurrection, 
St. Mark and St. Luke tell us the women came to the tomb, Timia ton sabaton, okay. day one of the week. Timia, uh, um, yeah, Timia ton sabaton, day one of the week. So once again, what are these seven churches doing on the day commemorating both the creation and the resurrection? Now it's described in Pliny, well before we get to Pliny, let's go to Luke. As described by Luke in the Acts of the Apostles in chapter 20, and in Pliny's famous letter uh, to Trajan, they spent the whole night in prayer. And now they are gathered in the Eucharistic worship that's known as He Colossus to Artu, the breaking Colossus, the breaking of the Artos, the bread. Thus we read in the Didache, the Didache ton dodica ton apostolon, the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, which I would date sometime, certainly not after the year 100, certainly not, certainly not, probably closer to 80 or 90. It's, it's a very early work. I'm following, the, I'm following the scholarship years ago of a great Lutheran scholar named Bo Rica. Bo Rica was a Scandinavian who taught down at uh, Fort Wayne. He wrote a a fine commentary and study on, uh, on which I don't think has ever been surpassed, on, on the Book of Revelation. He argues that it can't be after the year 100. And, and I always, I always, I knew back even when I went to seminary, he told us 110, 120. I said, can't be. I kept telling him, can't be, can't be. The, the format of the, the structure of the church is very different from that at Ignatius. So the book, okay, oh, hang on. Here's what it says in Didache. Gathering on the Lord's Day, kata kiriakin tikiriu, break the bread, klosete, klosete arton kai evkristesate, break bread and give thanks, evkristesate. Remember, I turn around to you on every Sunday morning, I say, evkristomen, okay, let us give thanks unto the Lord our God, evkristomen. What is that giving thanks? That's what we're there doing. It's, it's called the... There you are. Welcome back. I just thought... I thought I'm having a vision here. But there you are. <laughs> the book of Revelation is thus our first witness to the expression the Lord's Day, which became a technical term that referred to the day after the Sabbath. It was that first day of the week on which God made, made both Lord and Christ, that Jesus who was crucified. The Lord's Day very early replaced the Jewish Sabbath as the chief day of the week. Therefore, when the Christians gathered to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord, that's the day they chose. Thus, not much beyond a decade after the book of Revelation, Ignatius of Antioch wrote this. Those who had walked in the ancient practices attained a newness of hope, no longer celebrating Sabbaths, meketi sabanizontes, sabanizo means to keep a Sabbath, okay. meketi sabanizontes, no longer keeping the Sabbath, 
but living according to the Lord's day. Yeah. Kata kiriakin zontes. Zontes is a living. Kata kiriakin zontes. Living according to the Lord's day. On which our life also rose with him and through his death. We have the testimony of Dennis of Corinth. Dennis of Corinth. Only a few days later, a few decades later. Today we observe the holy day of the Lord. Kiriakin hagian himiran diegagomen. We observe the holy day of the Lord. Among the Asian fathers themselves, we know that Melito, the second century bishop, bishop of Sardis, wrote a treatise entitled Piri Kiriakis on the Lord's Day. The constant testimony from this part of the world uh, from the end of the first through the through, halfway through the second century. The expression the Lord's Day, however, was of significance only to those inside the church. This really is a new thing. When Christians addressed those outside the church, everybody with me on this? When Christians addressed those outside the church, they did not refer to it as the Lord's Day. They referred to it as Dies Solis, which means the day of the sun. We still use that. Among ourselves, we speak of the Lord's Day. To the outside, we speak of the day of the sun. Thus, Justin Martyr, giving Antoninus Pius his famous description of the Eucharistic worship of the church, Justin Martyr said it took place on the day called the day of the sun. Now, that's what the Roman emperor would understand. The day called the day of the sun. Himera, the day of the sun. That's the first apology, chapter 65. Now, it's most significant that John's mystic visions are expressly tied to that day on which were celebrated those sacred mysteries in which heaven and earth were joined. This is the day on which Christians gather at the throne of God. This is the day which they draw nigh, near, draw nigh to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an immeasurable, innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn who are written in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So what we did this morning. All of that goes on on Sunday morning. Okay. We draw near. Engizomen, we draw near. The book of Revelation describes every one of these components that I just listed. Every one of them. Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, the general assembly, the church of the firstborn registered in heaven, 
God, the judge of all, the spirits of just men made perfect, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than Abel. All of those that I took from 12th chapter of Hebrews, they're all in the book of Revelation. The innumerable company of angels, the sacrificial blood of the mediating Christ, the spirits of the just men made perfect, the general assembly and church of the firstborn and Mount Zion, the new city, the heavenly Jerusalem. They're all there. The visions of the book of Revelation take us into that tabernacle, not made with hands, complete with a golden censer, and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid with all sides with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna. Every single one of those components from Revelation 9, pardon me, from Hebrews 9 and Hebrews 12, every single one of those are in the book of Revelation. John portrays for us the heavenly throne of God. This image, God's throne, appears 46 times in the book of Revelation. Yes, sir. Did you, have you put this down in writing in anything that I've missed, like in a, one of these things, the pastoral ponderings or anything like that? Because this is just something I'd really love to do. Wait, wait till he gets to the helicopter. Is this going to be a book? I have, I, what I'm giving you right now has already been turned down by two publishers. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Hi. Unbelievable. Yeah. This is fantastic. <laughs> I thought so, too. <laughs> it is currently in the hands of a third publisher. I'm disposed to tell you who the publishers were, but I won't. Um, John portrays for us the heavenly throne of God. This very image, God's throne, appears 46 times in the book of Revelation. The The next closest count in the New Testament is Matthew. I say the next closest count. It's 46 times in Matthew. The next closest uh, in, in Revelation. 46 times Revelation. The next closest is Matthew, where it appears five times. So what book of the New Testament is dominated by the throne of God? <laughs> and what happens at the throne of God? Incessant worship. John beholds the adoration of the four living creatures, the innumerable company of angels, the four and twenty elders and all the saints whose number was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. Joseph. Why? I'm sorry? Why the throne of God? Why the emphasis on worship throughout the book? Why oh. is that so important for God? Actually, I, can, I, can I talk about that? Can I that later? Through, through, well, I talked about it in the first, first class, but let me, let me go through the commentary, then I'll show why. Okay. I mean, because that's my whole business. That's my whole business. Is this? This presumes. No, it's not. It's a life's work. <laughs> uh, if if I don't fail, if I if I fail to say that satisfactorily, can I count on you to back me up? Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay. Where is Michael? 
Okay, all right, okay. This worship in heaven also, however, incorporates the worship of the church on earth. For heaven and earth are joined. You see, we have approached, we have come to all of this. We're told that the four and twenty elders have golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints. Who are the saints? That's us. Okay. However, now I've got a bit on the prayers of the saints. Well, there's no kids here yet. Let me just take some more. Now, it is remarkable that the prayers of the saints on earth are being offered before the throne by the saints in heaven. These four and twenty elders surely correspond to the twenty-four courses of priests in the temple, as described in First Chronicles. Which reminds me, there's a very good commentary on First Chronicles. That is to say, these heavenly orders, pardon me, these held heavenly elders, are priestly figures who are charged with offering to God the prayers of the saints on earth. This is the striking image of the union of the church praying on earth with the church praying in heaven. As we ask God, receive this offering upon this oblation upon thine altar in heaven. Okay. Receive this oblation upon thine altar in heaven. But this worship of the saints on earth is also assumed into the ministry of the angels. Thus we read, another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Notice all the incense around the altar in our own church. But the censer... The censer is placed over the altar. Okay. Uh, glory to the holy, consubstantial, life-creating, undivided trinity. As we begin, that's how we begin matins. And when this incense is poured out on the altar, all manner of things begin to happen on earth in response to the prayers of the saints. God hears the sounding of the seven trumpets, those liturgical instruments that in olden days brought down the walls of Jericho. I think I hearing. I, I think I'm hearing some, some seven trumpets right now. Although these Christians are persecuted, are about to be be persecuted by the Roman authorities, God's throne is still sovereign over all the earth, and Christians still have access to that sovereign throne. Okay. There's a good place to start. Stop. It's not only a good place to stop. I thought finished those 15 pages. I brought the first good place. <laughs> Next week we'll start. Uh, we'll start on the, the the actual book, the actual edge of Jesus. Glory to the Father, through the Son, in the Holy Spirit, now and ever. The God who is, who was, and is to come. At the end of time. Amen. <laughs>